Good evening. Our second Bible reading for this evening will be from Romans chapter 14, verses 1 to 23. You can find them in the Pew Bibles on page 1190, or you can follow along on the screen. Romans 14. Accept him whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother, or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And everything that does not come from faith is sin. Well, friends, let me begin by saying well done for making it to this part of Romans. It's been, what is it, half of Romans last year, and we're nearing the end of Romans, so well done on lasting this long. Um, tonight, uh, we're going to look at this, and I think there's lots of applications for us because we are so diverse and different here. And so let's again uh, pray to God for his help. 
that we might understand this and how we must live in response to this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, which challenges us, convicts us, and helps us to conform to the likeness of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you might do that work in us tonight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, does it surprise you that though all Christians, and that is all of us who are Christians, we believe in only one gospel, we believe in only one Saviour, Jesus Christ, we believe in only one Heavenly Father, one Holy Spirit, one way of salvation, and one way to heaven, but yet, we're so united there, but yet there are so many different churches and denominations. Now, in just our suburb alone in Surrey Hills, do you know how many churches there are? There's about nine churches just in our suburb. In Australia, do you know how many churches there are? There are over 13,000 churches in Australia. And so when you look at the number of churches and even the number of denominations, it can be, in a sense, quite confusing and it's a bit of a headache. Around the world, do you know how many denominations, that is, groups of churches, institutions, how many denominations are there around the world? Any guesses? The answer is stacks. <laughs> it's in fact, there are over 43,000 denominations. We're talking about denominations here. And so what are the denominations? Well, you've got the Lutherans, you've got the Anglicans, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, Reformed Brethren, Seventh-day Adventists, Assemblies of God, Salvation Army, Uniting Church, Evangelical Free Church, and thousands more. And so when you think about the number of churches and denominations, it's just a bit confusing and a bit of a headache. But you are all okay because you are here. <laughs> we are St. Stephen's Presbyterian Church, Surrey Hills. It's Presbyterian, which means there's no confusion here. But let me ask you, which Presbyterian Church? Now, do you know that in Australia alone, there are about 10 different Presbyterian denominations? Were you aware of that? You've got the Presbyterian Reformed Church, the Westminster Presbyterian Church, the Free Presbyterian Church, the Australian Free Church, the Presbyterian Church of Eastern Australia, Southern Presbyterian Church, Reformed Presbyterian Church, and of course, our one, which is the Presbyterian Church of Australia. And so you've got so many different churches and denominations, and they all have their distinct flavours and emphasis. But then to add to the confusion, even within the one church... And perhaps even within this one church, there are differences amongst us because we are so different. There are differences in opinions on music. Which one is okay? What should we sing? Differences on Bible translation. Which one should we use? Sabbath rest. Should we keep it? Drinking alcohol. Is that allowed? Dancing. Is that of the devil? clothing is that okay what is okay what is not okay and so on these matters of opinion how are we to think as christian within the one church and at what point within a church are differences allowed and at what point do we not compromise how do we decide well that is why this passage is so helpful you see the issues churches face around the world today were the same issues that Paul spoke to right then in the first century. And what we find here is that it acknowledges that there is a diversity 
and liberty of conscience within a church. And so while we can uphold the same gospel, the passage shows that there is a liberty of conscience that is allowed. But then on the other side, we need to still maintain the unity in Christ because of the gospel. And so let's have a look. Do keep your Bibles open. If you're new here visiting us, we work our way through verse by verse. And so firstly, we see here, Paul acknowledges that there is a diversity and liberty of conscience within each and every church. There are those who are new to the faith, young and growing Christians, and then there are those Christians who have been Christians for decades. But the principle here is that Christians are to accept that there is a liberty of conscience and a liberty of opinions on some matters. And so, don't judge each other for it. There are so many things that Christians differ on, and Christians do hold strongly to these differences, but Paul is saying that it's okay. These differences are okay. It's why there are so many different denominations. In the first place, they all agree on the core gospel, but on the secondary issues, they disagree, and so you have different denominations. One will baptize infants, one would not baptize infants. One would say you need to be fully immersed in baptism. One, sprinkling is okay or not at all. But the principle that Paul's telling us is that Christians are to accept that there is a liberty of conscience, that there is a liberty of opinion on some matters. Have a look with me, verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters, or, or literally getting into conflict because of different opinions. Now, the situation here was that there were some in the church who were Jewish Christians, and there were some in the church who were Gentile Christians. And so the Jewish Christians, they felt that somehow they were still bound by Old Testament Jewish laws. While the Gentile Christians... They saw that they were not bound by these laws at all. They recognized the complete freedom they have in the gospel. I've come from a pagan religion, and now I'm a Christian. I see complete freedom within this gospel. And so this verse is Paul saying to them, You Gentile Christians, it's good that you know of your freedom, the liberty that you have in the gospel. You may be stronger in faith because you know and recognize this liberty, but don't pass judgment on your Jewish brothers. Instead, accept them as your brother. And so Paul here now, he addresses two distinguishing marks between the Jews and the Gentiles, and that is food and religious laws, religious days. So firstly, food. In Jewish laws, they had all sorts of food laws. Following strict Jewish food laws means eating kosher food. And so that means no pork, no oyster, no shellfish, and really it means no yamcha. Okay, so that's no good. <laughs> Forget Asian food. But though the Gentiles, they see the freedom to eat all food, they are called by Paul here to not look down upon those who remain kosher and choose to remain kosher. And so... If you want to go vegetarian, Paul says, respect them. Let them go for their life. You want to be a vegetarian, go for it. Even if you want to eat the, 
the vegetarian type of bacon. Have you heard such a thing exists? They can't eat real bacon, so they make a vegetarian bacon. Well, go for your life. And vice versa is also true. And that is, if I am a vegetarian and you want to eat a cow or a pig, well, go for your life and we'll respect that. And so Paul is saying there is some liberty of conscience, liberty of opinion here. Accept each other nonetheless. And so look at that, verses 2 and 3. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not. And the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. And so you see that the principle is clear, isn't it? Except that there is a liberty of conscience. God has already accepted all who are in Christ. They are all saved by grace, not by works, not by efforts. And so what right is there for anyone to judge? And so look at verse 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And so if God upholds a brother or sister, whether they're vegetarian or carnivores, how dare we tear down that brother or sister? That's what Paul is saying. And so there is a liberty of conscience in food. And now the second distinguishing mark between a Jew and a Gentile are the religious days. Now for the Jewish people, they had all sorts of important days throughout the year. At the Sabbath, which is a weekly thing, the Unleavened Bread Festival, the First Fruits Day, the Day of Atonement, the Tabernacle Festival, they had stacks of these important days. For the Gentiles, well, lots of their days were pagan festivals, but when they turned their backs from their pagan religion, it meant that Christianity now was all free. There is freedom in the gospel, and all the days are the same. But likewise, the principle is that you shall not judge. Look at verses 5 to 6. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. And so the principle is clear there, isn't it? Whatever you do, who are you doing it for? Well, you do it to the Lord. You give thanks to God. And so if my conscience, in my conscience I'm convinced that I should, for example, keep the Sabbath each week. And on the Sabbath I will do no homework. I will not go to work. I will not go to the shops on the Sabbath. Then if I'm convinced of that before God, I wholeheartedly keep to that for God. And I do so before God, not men. Now, of course, it is important to remember that this liberty of opinion does not extend to all matters of Christianity. It's only on some matters, not all matters. There are things to the Christian faith that are non-negotiable. And if you don't believe those non-negotiable, you're not a Christian. And so when I was ordained as a Presbyterian minister of this denomination, or when our elders were ordained about two months ago, we all had to sign up to the Westminster Confession of Faith. Now this is a document from 1646, 
and it details what we as a church believe, what it is what it is that we hold, believe, and will uphold. It defines the non-negotiable center of what we believe as Christians, but it also defines the boundaries of our denomination. And so when I signed my name against the doctrinal statement, what we also have in Australia is another declaration. It's called the Declaratory Statement of 1901, and I had to sign to that as well. And in that statement, it actually allows for some liberty of opinion on non-essential matters of doctrine, things that are not essential to knowing God rightly, knowing salvation rightly, the authority of Scripture. And that's why I was wholeheartedly able and willing to sign my name to be a minister of this denomination because it does allow for some liberty of opinion because there are some matters which are not core, important but not core. Now you might be wondering, like what? Well, for example, now this might be a bit daring for me just to mention this up here, but anyway, I will. Was creation, Genesis 1, does that teach creation in six literal 24-hour days, or could it, could it at all have happened over a longer period? Now, in our denomination, we have people on both sides of that. Some strongly believe only six 24 literal day, uh, hour days, and some hold to an older earth, and they hold strongly to both sides. But the liberty of opinion allows that... It can be either, or it can be just we don't exactly know how. But where we cannot compromise on is that, however it happened, God is still the sole creator of the whole universe. On that point, it is non-negotiable. And that's why, when you visit different Presbyterian churches, we would all not compromise on the authority of Scripture, on God, on salvation, but what you'll notice as you visit different churches is that how we run the church is in fact quite different. The way we run our ministries is quite different. And that is because of this liberty of conscience. Some churches will only have organs and they believe that. They will hold strongly to that. Some will have a band like ours. We have both in fact. Some will not allow the drums at all. Some will. Some will only allow the King James Version to be used. Some will use others. Some churches will sing only hymns. Some will sing a mix. You see, there is this liberty of conscience. But the principle is, accept one another. But now Paul makes clear, though there is a liberty of conscience, there is also the unity in Christ that must be upheld. And that must not be compromised. And so whatever our conscience says or our convictions demand, we stick to it for God's sake. We live for God and we die for God as well. Look at verses 7 and 8. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. In fact, that's why Jesus came in the first place, to bring us to be those who belong to God. Look at verse 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And so what that means is that Christians 
us believers, we need to know our place. It is Christ who is Lord, who is judge, and not us, not anyone. It is Jesus who stands as judge over the living and the dead. It is not us. And so the command then is for us to uphold unity in Christ by not judging. It is Christ who judges, not us. It is his job, not ours. Look at verses 10 to 12 now. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we all stand, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so we will all face God. If my conscience on matters of liberty, not essential to the gospel, says one thing, then I am accountable to God for it, not anyone, but to God. And so I shouldn't be judged for it, nor shall I be judging anyone else because of their conscience. And so verse 13 summarizes that. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. But then that this doesn't mean that we don't judge at all. You see, if a brother or sister is sinning, then that is not a matter of liberty. There's no opinion there. If you're sinning, you're sinning. So that brother or sister needs to be rebuked, brought back to the Lord where there is forgiveness, restoration, reconciliation. A minister of a church also has no liberty of opinion on things of morality. For example, a minister of a church is not allowed to support same-sex marriage. That is a moral thing. It is not a matter where there is liberty of conscience. But on matters where there is liberty of conscience, the principle here is to uphold unity by not judging. But uphold unity by not judging, but also by not being a stumbling block, Paul goes on to tell us. Now this is, don't get in the way of the faith and the growth of a brother or sister. Don't cause them to stumble by what you do. And so look at verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. And so because of conscience, let's just say you're a vegetarian. Now, if you are because of your Christian convictions or whatever it might be, and I invite you over for a meal, and I know that you're a vegetarian even though I don't understand why, but I know that you are a vegetarian. And instead of feeding you like exciting vegetables like broccoli and lettuce and carrots and spinach, just so exciting, I instead feed you a big lump of cow that's still bleeding. <laughs> then that is to get you to go against your conscience. And that is to be a stumbling block. Now, a funny story, it's a true one. It's in fact what we have done in our household, actually, unknowingly. For quite a while, we had this uh, sister of ours who came over for a meal almost weekly for about a year. Now, we didn't know that this sister was a vegetarian. She did not tell Yvonne. And so Yvonne kept her feeding her meat every week. <laughs> and she ate it for about half a year before she told Yvonne. Yvonne felt very bad. <laughs> I didn't, but Yvonne did. <laughs> Or if, let's just say, 
you're a Jewish Christian who still only eats kosher, and I invite you over for a meal, well, I wouldn't be feeding you bacon. That would be a stumbling block. I wouldn't be rubbing bacon in your face. Or another one, which is quite contentious amongst Christians, and that is alcohol. If a Christian, because of deeply held Christian convictions, who has seen the great destruction of alcohol, is by choice and by conscience... A teetotaler. A teetotaler are those who do not drink alcohol. Then to not be a stumbling block means you don't offer it. You don't offer alcohol to such a person. You don't encourage it, nor would you even drink with this brother or sister if they are around. That would be to be a stumbling block. And so the principle here, uphold unity by not being a stumbling block. But now Paul makes clear, perhaps because... There was such heated debates in the Roman church. He makes clear now that all food has been declared clean. He reiterates what Jesus has already said. And so Paul really says, pork is okay, brothers. It's all right. You might choose not to, but it is okay. Yum cha is okay. We should, we should be glad because of that. It is okay. And so look at verses 14 to 16. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. And so to force a vegetarian to eat meat, that's not loving. Bacon to a Jew or alcohol to a teetotaler. Verse 15. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken as evil. And so, for example, though drinking alcohol is okay, don't let it be used against you as something that is evil. And now finally, Paul summarizes. The things of the kingdom of God are far more important than eating and drinking. Know it in proper perspective. Verse 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Uphold unity by not being a stumbling block. And I suspect that would affect many of us here as we relate to one another. And so instead of judging and being a stumbling block... What are we to do instead with each other? Well, we are to build each other up, to edify, edification, that's the word. The intention is always for the good of the other, not self-focused, but other person focus. And so verses 19 to 21. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. You see, the principle is simple, isn't it? Will I be willing to deny my freedom in the gospel for the sake of a brother or sister? And so here Paul finally summarizes, whatever you do, do it with a clear conscience before God. Accept that there is liberty of conscience in matters not essential to the gospel, but uphold unity in Christ. Our final verses, 22. 
So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. Now that is another way of saying, don't go against your conscience and convictions. Don't go against it. Be consistent in your convictions and your conduct. Be consistent in your conscience and your practice. And so if I'm convinced that something is true and right before God, I go with that. I don't go against my conscience. Otherwise, Paul says it's sin. And so Paul makes clear here, pretty simply, accept liberty of conscience, but uphold unity in Christ. And so now, how do you think this applies to us today? as Christians here in Surrey Hills. Well, you see, these continue to have implications for us as a church if we are to be a united church that recognises our diversity. We need to recognise that not all things are equal in the Christian faith. We don't give equal weight to every truth and every doctrine. Some are far more important than others. And so what this means is that we need to major on the major things and we need to minor on the minor things. Major on a major, minor on the minor. And so there are things that we must major on and must never compromise, never ever compromise. Now what do you think they might be? What must we never compromise on? Well, they are the things that have to do with core Christian beliefs, core Christian doctrine, You get those things wrong, you're no longer a Christian. They're the stuff we don't muck around with. And so I try to represent this like a a blue circle. They're the major things. We cannot muck around with these things. And so you can't get God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, life, death, resurrection of Jesus, the gospel, the authority of Scripture, salvation. You cannot get those things wrong. They belong in the blue circle. You get those things wrong, You are no longer a Christian. You're believing something else. And so these are the things that have to do with core Christian belief that we hold dear. And it is these doctrines that the early Christians, man, they had lots of fights and debates over this, but they have made it clear to us and we benefit from them. You see, the core Christian beliefs are what have been summarized in the creeds that we confess And so, you know, the Apostles' Creed, that belongs in the blue circle. The Nicene Creed, that belongs in the blue circle. That is what we believe. They express the bare minimum of what is necessary in Christian faith. But what is also major, along with Christian doctrine, is holiness. Holiness also belongs in the blue circle. And so what God expects in terms of holiness Morality, godliness, is not a matter of opinion. And so if murder is wrong, you don't get to have an opinion on that. It is wrong. If idolatry, if adultery is wrong, that is not a matter of opinion. It is wrong. It is sin. Or if homosexuality activity is wrong. Homosexual activity, as the Bible describes it, if that is wrong, that too is not a matter of opinion. It belongs in the blue circle. 
And so we need to know what the major things are and we major on the major. It is these core Christian doctrines that unite Christians. It's why we can say we're brothers and sisters with Christians from other denominations because the blue circle remains the same. Now, some of you will know that I'm involved in running a Christian leadership conference called Engage. Now, we started this up about seven years ago, and we, when we established this conference, we had to think through, what is it that will unite us as a committee? What is it that we are for? What is our centre as a conference? And what unites us, the things that we will not compromise on, is that blue circle, core Christian doctrine. And that is why in our committee we have Anglicans. Now, they are different to us in many ways. Their ministers sometimes wear robes and surplus and doll collars. That's in the Anglican church, and they do that, and that's okay. You will never see me in a dress, not a dress, a robe, <laughs> a doll collar. Anglicans also, they serve real wine. In the Lord's Supper, we just have juice. They are different. But the blue circle is the same for us. We also have a Baptist on our committee. Now, they believe that you can't baptise infants. You only baptise believers and always by full immersion. That is different. We also have a reform guy on our committee. They would baptise infants and sprinkling is okay. It does not necessarily need to be full immersion, especially the little one. And then we have Presbyterians on our committee. The Presbyterians, we just wear blue. That's our distinction. <laughs> but you see how, though we are so different in terms of church denomination, why is it that we can work together and we work well together, we are united? It's because we major on the major. It is the gospel that unites us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, though the flavors of our church ministry is so different. And so we're accepting that there is a liberty of conscience on the minor things, and that is okay. And so if we do major on the major, then we make sure that the major never becomes a minor. And so look at this. This is very creative. Another circle. The red circle represents the minor things of our faith. If we major on the major then the major must never become a minor. So the blue must not turn into the red or go towards the red. And this is where churches have gone terribly wrong. Where I would say that many churches, because they have made a major thing a minor thing, they no longer represent a church of Christ. And so, for example, there's a church in the city that would deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus. I mean, if you deny that Jesus came back from the dead in the body, then you're no longer a church of Christ. There are churches that will go out to support same-sex marriage. That homosexual lifestyle is okay. That is no longer a church of Christ because they have compromised on the uncompromisable because they have made the major thing a major thing a minor thing. Now, not just are we to major on the major, we are also to minor on the minor, and that is the red circle. We are to recognize that are stuff that remain in the red circle and are to remain in the red circle. It's to recognize and accept that on many matters in Christian living, 
that there is a liberty of conscience, even though we might hold strongly, even by theological grounds, but there is a liberty of conscience. And on these minor matters, what do we do? Well, we accommodate, we accept. And that's why Baptists, Anglicans, Presbyterians, Reformed will be different in our red circle. It might be a bigger one, it might be a smaller one, but the centre, the blue, remains the same. And so that's why we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. You muck around with the centre, you're no longer a Christian. And so Christian wisdom means that we acknowledge the minors and we minor on the minor. And so, for example, should we as Christians be pre-millennial, post-millennial, or amillennial? Now, you might be completely confused by what that means. Well, remain confused, that is okay. Everyone's confused about that. It actually doesn't matter too much. I was told once by a minister, it's a bit like, should you is as important as, should you pour milk before the tea or milk after the tea or no milk at all? Pre-millennial, post-millennial, amillennial. <laughs> Pre-milk, post-milk, yeah, it actually doesn't matter. Should we have full immersion or sprinkling? Does the amount of water matter? Well, it shouldn't matter. Should we have just... Grape juice in the Lord's Supper or real wine? It's a minor thing. Should ministers wear robes and dog collars and surplus? Now that might sound like an insignificant thing to us, but in the 16th century in England, the dividing issue amongst Protestant churches was over what the minister should be wearing. You see, the Anglicans, the Church of England, wore robes or surplus. And the Puritans came along and thought, this is nonsense. I don't want to be caught a father and wear a dress. No, they didn't say that, but they said, this is nonsense. We don't need to wear this. We don't need to wear robes to be a minister of the gospel. And so the Puritans came along and they said, it's unnecessary. It's a minor thing. You can have a liberty of conscience on those things. And they were called the nonconformists. They did not conform to the Church of England. And they became the Presbyterians. And that's why I'm a Presbyterian. You will not see me in a robe. But if you choose to wear a robe at another church or a friend as a minister in another church, that is okay. It's a minor thing, you see. It's a matter of conscience. Should we have drums or electric guitars in church? Well, again, it's a minor thing. Should we raise our hands? while singing now you see even that is a matter of conscience because you're in a presbyterian church you're absolutely free to raise your hand if you like while we sing you have that freedom to it's a matter of conscience you can do it if you like but i suspect because you're at this church you probably have trouble raising your hand above your waist but anyway <laughs> but if you choose to you are free to raise your hands while singing as long as you wear deodorant but it's okay <laughs> should we dance in church now, there was a time not that long ago, only a few decades ago, where many churches did not allow dancing in their church because it was seen as being loose and irreverent. In fact, I did a bit of research this past week. Do you know the 1984 movie Footloose? Or are you too young for that? <laughs> 1984 movie Footloose. Well, it was loosely based on a religious community in Oklahoma where dancing was banned. 
But what was that movie about where they took off their Sunday shoes like the lyrics of the song and fought loose? Well, it, that was what it was about. But you see how that also is a matter of conscience. It's a minor thing. Should we clap in church? Well, again, a minor thing. And so we minor on the minor, we major on the major. Now, finally, <clears throat> if we minor on the minor, then we make sure that a minor thing never becomes a major thing. And so the red circle should not and never infiltrate the blue circle. And so when Christians go out and say, you must be baptised in this way to be a Christian, that is making a minor a major thing. Or when Christians go out and say, you must display some type of spiritual gifts like speaking in tongues before you can be a Christian. That also is making a minor thing a major thing. Or you must fast as a Christian. Again, that is making a minor a major thing. And so we are not to make minor things major things. We are to keep minor things minor things. Now finally, major on a major, minor on a minor, because we want to major on each other. The kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking and trivial things. It is about the things of God. Uh, there's this quote I'd like to share with you, John Wesley. In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity. If Jesus died for my debt, then I have a debt to love my brother and sister in Christ. I work to build them up. So we major on the major uncompromisingly. We minor on the minor accommodatingly. And we major on each other lovingly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words of the Apostle that teaches us how we are to live as a united body in Christ, acknowledging that there is liberty of conscience, but yet working hard to uphold unity because we belong to Christ. So we pray, Lord, that you might help us do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.